0: Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival podcast. I'm going to be your host for this advertising space and the podcast that's going to follow up shortly after that. And I'll tell you something, this is going to be a, an interesting one because one of our regular podcast advertisers is uh, actually directly affected by the podcast guests. So let me kind of explain a little bit about that and we'll get down to this podcast. So realize that Fieldcraft would not be able to make these podcasts possible without supporters and our two big supporters of the podcast are Sig Sour and Black Rifle Coffee. So I'm gonna start off with Black Rifle Coffee. I'm drinking it right now. Listen to this, here we go, ready? That is a ready to drink espresso, 200 milligrams of caffeine and it's pretty damn good. Um, guys, we bring these to all of our events. If you see us, just come by, look for our sprinter van. It's going to be a big green thing and we'll probably give you a ready to drink coffee. Um, We got a whole bunch of them usually stocked up and the ones that we don't consume on the way to and from those events, they're yours. So uh, Black Rifle Coffee, again, they've been good friends for a very long time. I'm actually going to Uh, a trade show this weekend, and Black Rifle Coffee is hosting the after party. And they've always been cool with things like that, bringing in guys from the hunting world and the knife world and firearms world and things like that. So uh, we love them to death, they're they're good friends. Whether you decide to go with Silencer Smooth, which is their lightest roast, or Murdered Out, or Gunship, or Just Black, or Endurance, which is our blend that we have Fieldcraft kinda labeled across, you can't go wrong. And while you're at it, take a look at their t-shirts and take a look at all the other stuff. If you guys go to their website and you use the coupon code CRAFT15, that'll get you a discount when you order. Now, there are certain things that will not apply, certain special items, certain ready-to-drink things like what I'm having right here. So sorry that you, you know, have to listen to me consume this throughout the podcast. You can just go to a store and get your own. But uh, guys, that 15% off, it'll save you some cash. Now, the other podcast sponsor I want to recognize is Sig Sauer. And as I said at the beginning of this advertisement base, the guest that we have today is Bill Wilson of Wilson Combat. So check this out. If you guys are used to shooting the 320 or the 365 and you like the idea of having those removable fire control units, right? I love the idea. I think it's freaking awesome. Um, I love the idea that you can take one fire control unit and have four or five different grip modules and you can accomplish having different size firearms with different size frames and grips. Well, Wilson combat actually makes a really damn good one for the 365. Now guys, I have long fingers. I don't have a big fat fingers. I've got like a big grip radius so I could shoot, you know, large frame pistols very well. When I first grabbed the 365, I'm like, okay, I can hold on to this thing, but I wished it had a little bit more of a diameter to to get my fingers around. Well, Wilson Combat makes a really cool uh, grip module that has the signature fire burst or sunburst pattern on the outside. And my buddy Drew, uh, he's actually our HR gal's husband. He's got the modules. And when I shot them, I'm like, this feels like a totally different gun. Now, Aside from Wilson Combat's grip modules, you guys should go to SIGSauer.com and take a look at all the different accessories that they have. Uh, I've been solely building up a SIG tread pistol, customizing it to my liking, and it's a great platform. It's been super reliable. Um, And I'll tell you, there are other things that SIG makes that you might want to check out. Keep in mind that they just won the new contract for the squad automatic weapon. Uh, I think it's called that. I don't know i'm not a military guy but the new machine gun for the military and uh on top of that they've got the m17 the m18 and then they've got the whole classic line of firearms uh and in addition to that really freaking awesome ammo if you haven't tried their ammo check it out especially their match grade stuff the standard deviation between rounds is very very minimal which makes it fantastic for consistency. So guys, please check out sigsauer.com and go to the SIG Academy if you ever get a chance. You're gonna love it. Top-rate instructors, uh, many of them are good friends of mine and I owe a lot of where I am today with my proficiency with firearms to the, the top-notch instructors up there. All right, so like I said, this podcast is brought to you by sigsauer.com, our friends at Sig Sauer, and blackriflecoffee.com, blackriflecoffee. So let's get down to it with Bill Wilson of Wilson Combat. Here we go. Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host. My name is Kevin Estella. I'm the director of survival training here at Fieldcraft. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, this podcast is really interesting to me because I need to paint a picture 20 years ago. 20 years ago, 2002, 2002. I'm rifling through, no pun intended, rifling through the magazines at my local Barnes & Noble, and I see a magazine. It was uh, a June 2002 issue of Guns & Ammo, and on the cover were three firearms. There's a 1911, there's a Remington 870, and there's an AR-15. But these weren't just your average run-of-the-mill firearms. These were highly customized, and it said Wilson's uh, Combat Trio. So me as like a young dumb college kid, I picked this thing up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need those. And then I became educated and I said, all right, here's why. So I saved up all my pretty pennies and I bought myself through, I think it was like Guns America at the time, I got myself a Wilson CQB for $1,300, believe it or not. This, you'll you'll hear why, that's a, a steal. So over the years I used it and stupidly I sold it. I don't know why. Again, struggling grad student maybe, I don't know why I got rid of it. I regret that to this day, getting rid of that gun and then i bought a whole bunch of 1911s and i had friends customize them and you know i, I added parts there and here and there but it was never to the same quality of that CQB. So now fast forward to 2000, it's the middle of the pandemic and i know that i'm going to gunsight on the Jeff Cooper Memorial Scholarship and uh, i was like, well, i can't just show up to gunsight without a 1911. I need a good 1911. So my good buddy, Mike Romano, put me in touch with this guy who's like, hey, I've got a friend who has one exactly like you're looking for it and he'll sell it to you. So he sold it to me. Since then, I've been to gun sight with that gun multiple times. I've won multiple awards at Gunsight with that pistol multiple times. Uh, it just recently broke 3,000 rounds. The thing is slick as all can be. And all I got to say is that gun is easily one of my favorite, favorite firearms that I own to this day. So now, here's the reason why I'm telling you this story. The man whose company built that gun is on the podcast with me. We are going to talk to today, Bill Wilson, who is the founder of Wilson Combat. And unless you've been living under a rock for, I think, Wilson Combat has been around since the late 70s, uh, you've definitely heard of Wilson Combat for their magazines, customization to AR-15s, to 870s. Now they're even branching off into different firearms platforms, Beretta, Glock, SIG you name it. So, on the podcast today, I have Bill Wilson. Bill, how are you, sir?
1: I'm doing good. How are you doing and I don't know, hopefully the audience is doing well today.
0: Oh, I'm doing just great. I'm I'm highly caffeinated right now and I know that you're uh, a southern guy and I'm from New England, so if I'm talking way too fast, just let me know.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So, I uh, for the listeners kind of want to paint the picture of your background. Now, I've, I did a little bit of homework myself. I know that you've got a long career in IPSEC. You actually were one of the founders of uh, uh, IPD, um, IPDS. And uh, I know that you spent many years kind of tweaking your own firearms before you jumped into the business and started selling parts on your own. But uh, can you kind of give us like a little bit of a biography of, of where you grew up and, and how you got into this?
1: Well, first off, um, man, I've been interested in guns since my earliest memories. You know, uh, I mean, Dad got me my first rifle when I was about eight years old, and it's all been either uphill or downhill from then, depending on how you look at it. Um, But what got me really into the uh, serious firearms business was I started out as a competitor. And like all competitors, you know, we think that we can – by success and we think well if we had a better piece of equipment we would do do better you know when actually in reality if we just practice more and burn more rounds we we do better but uh anyway i had uh a cup you know first off i had a gold cup that i just bought a a welded up extended thumb safety from from a old friend jim clark and put that on there and and beveled a mag well myself and that's all it had done to it and and It was was a good gun, and I did well with it, Um, but then, you know, got to have something better. So, bought a government model, sent it to a big-name pistol smith of the time. You know, this is, you know, we're talking um, 72, 74-ish, right in there. Um, Gun came back. I wasn't at all impressed with it. So, then I, slow learner, so I I bought a second government model, sent it to another big-name gun smith. And. And it, it came back even worse, and so you know, my background uh, grew up in a in, in a jewelry store environment. My dad was, was a watch and jewelry maker, and and I'd went to watch and jewelry making school, and so they were crap. If I can if I can make a clock part, you know, and fix these watches and make jewelry, I can surely work on a 1911 pistol with all the big pieces that's in there, and so that's kind of how it started. I built a gun for myself. Won a few matches with it, but he says, bill me one. He won some matches with his two, and next thing you know, I'm in the custom 1911 business.
0: You know, I think the 1911 is one of those firearms with such a long history. I mean, people love it for the... The aesthetic of it right the overall shape of it um people love it because you do have to treat it like a like a baby right like you can't just use and abuse it i mean a, a really well-made gun is going to run forever your cqb has been flawless for me um but you know i think people like it because of that tinkering factor but one of the things that i i know happens frequently is people will make mistakes when they try to modify a 1911 and originally when those guns first came out you know, they had such loose tolerances and now to achieve better accuracy, you're tightening those tolerances and stacking them. But what would you say are some of the cardinal mistakes where if you pick up someone's gun and they say, Hey, Bill, take a look at my 1911 that I built up. What would you say? Oh, you shouldn't have done this. You should like, are there any that really stand out? Uh,
1: There's two and they're, and they're critical to the function of the gun. Uh, One we see the worst uh, is somebody cutting the, Feed ramp way too far forward to where the barrel either doesn't have any step from the feed ramp to the throat of the barrel, or mm-hmm. it's actually overhanging the feed ramp. You know that's an absolute no go. You know I mean there has to be a about a thirty thousand step from the top of the feed ramp to where the bottom of the barrel is if you want it to feed reliably because the barrel actually lifts up a little bit out of the barrel seat as it's as the gun's functioning. You don't want the bullet catching on the bottom of the. the barrel throat. so that's that's number one thing we see and number two is people have no idea how to to fit an extractor and the extractor is the most important part in the whole damn gun you know they just buy an extractor and stick it in there and expect it to work and that isn't necessarily the truth i mean there's better quality stuff on the market now than there ever has ever been and your odds of you know just buying an extractor and sticking it in there and the gun working is better now than it was back in the old days when all you had was Colts or Springfield Army or you know USGI, but uh, that's that's two that's the two biggies we see.
0: Hmm. Now I know you guys sell that your bulletproof extractor, and you know I've I've seen many custom gun shops just stock those for whatever model 1911 comes in. But if we were to just take like a stock like mill surplus 1911, if you were to say, look, uh, here's how we're gonna make this thing perform. I mean, there are a lot of folks out there that want to take a, a bare bones gun and make it into a, a, like a race machine. But I mean, that takes a lot of work, but if you had to recommend a handful of modifications to instantly improve performance, what would those be? Uh,
1: first off, you gotta make sure it functions every time, which is, you know, properly have the feed ramp and barrel set up properly and, and have your extractor properly installed. Uh, that's that's number one i mean the gun's got to work and then number two uh i would say is a good set of sights uh number three would be a decent trigger pull on it and number four would be stuff like extended thumb safety and maybe be able to well a little bit and really when you get past that you know now you're kind of doing stuff that you want not that you don't really need
0: yeah, and you know, I think that at that point—that's where you can get into like the the custom checkering. You can get into all of the the different grip panels. You can get into flared magwells and things like that. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting just how far you can customize a nineteen eleven. I mean, where all the checkering takes place, and you know, dehorning and things like that. I mean, it, it's it seems almost endless. Um, you know, I think an argument that has to be made and it just needs to be brought up is when people say okay a $3000 firearm why would i why would i get something like that right or a $5000 firearm why would i get something like that but one of the things that i i think needs to be said is that when you buy something like that it becomes an investment and it unlike a a rack grade gun that you customize where it's very difficult to Make the value increase when you buy something custom. It's if it's done. Well, the value is very rarely going to decrease um, I mean your guns. I mean from that CQB that I I have I think it goes all the way up to this. Uh, is it the tactical super grade? is the the top of the line for you?
1: Yeah, that's that's well unless you you know want of embellishments like, you know hand engraving and things like that
0: right Right. So I I would say that when you're buying something like that, it it really does become an investment. And, you know, I know a lot of my friends say like, never sell guns. Well, if you ever had to, right, then you'd be better off selling something that is custom, that's still going to serve you the entire life that you have it, than something that you buy inexpensive, dump a whole bunch of money into. Um, you'll never get that, that money back. Um, now let's talk about the the nineteen eleven just for for a second, and then I want to move on to your your ARs and your shotguns and whatnot. A friend of mine told me a while back. He said that you were in an interview and you said something about the nine millimeter nineteen eleven variants that are out there. Um, do you have a preference for caliber? I know on one of the interviews I saw with you, you said you're not a fan of forty Smith and Wesson or ten mil, but do you have a preference for for nine millimeter nineteen eleven style pistols over forty uh,
1: five? Be honest with you, other than troubleshooting a customer problem gun or something like that. Mm-hmm. I haven't shot a forty-five in years. I no mean kidding. i kidding. I pretty much shoot nothing but nine millimeter. We have a we have a little local shooting group that, you know, it's anywhere from six to about fifteen guys show up to shoot on the weekend here at the ranch. And uh we all shoot 9mm. nine million makes picking up brass, sorting brass a lot easier, you know. <laughs> um it's just you know whether we like it or not nine millimeters is the caliber of the world
0: very very interesting i would have sworn that you are dyed in the wool 45 guy all day but you know you <laughs> learn something new every single day um,
1: I, I used to be you know but um i don't know Some somewhere probably around i'm gonna say 2008 2010 somewhere along in there i i would kind of Phased over to, to a nine millimeter guy and and my old buddy Ken Hackathorn, he's the same way I mean he he, he doesn't shoot hardly anything but nine millimeter anymore, uh, you know it's just everybody you know evolves and you know as as you get older I mean shit I'm I'm almost sixty nine now I don't I don't like recoil as much as I did when I was younger, <laughs>
0: right right, wow okay now speaking of evolution your company evolved from doing handguns to doing different rifles and, you know, I've got, uh, track lock sights on my Remington 870 and I've got a Wilson combat, uh, magazine extension on my 870 and a, and a few other odds and ends. When did you make the evolution and, and how did that come along where you became scattergun technologies? I mean, did you purchase scattergun or was that your invention?
1: Actually, we actually purchased that company. Okay. And I can't remember what year that was, but I'm going to say it was in the maybe early '90s, something like that. Somewhere along in there. Um, you know, it was originally a Tennessee-based company. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we've been doing that ever ever since. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's been pretty good. Other than you know when Remington went bankrupt and there was no 870s there for a few years. That that was it, it turned into just an accessory division
0: then what's interesting with your involvement with the shotgun world is that you've got that package which i've never i've never taken advantage of but i've had buddies who have uh the remington steel and if you guys are listening and you're wondering what the heck's the remington steel picture your oldest remington like the one that you carried on as a kid maybe it was a relative's remington that sat in the corner of a house was never maintained i mean it could be pitted it could be gross and disgusting you could send in your Remington and Wilson Combat will turn around and turn it into a full custom shotgun. Uh, there's got to be a horror story or two about some of the shotguns that you've seen come in, like bulged barrels or or just – are there ever any that are beyond repair?
1: I don't know that we've had any that, that we couldn't eventually make a functional gun out of. I know we've had some come in that – you know, had to call the customer and, and say, you know, we'll never make this thing look right. You know, it's it's been, it's too heavily pitted and, you know, got too many gashes in it and things like that. You know, because you get something in that's been, like I say, a law enforcement shotgun, it's, it's been dropped out of a running vehicle or something like that. You know, I mean, it's hard to fix that kind of stuff, you know, without spending more time than the guns worth.
0: And the process for that is you're going to take the firearm assuming that we'll talk like a remington 870 like an express or or something with a wood stock like a wingmaster you're going to take the gun you're going to strip it of its finish refinish it uh put the new sights on it new springs new safety is there anything else that i'm I'm missing in there
1: that we'll check all the critical parts for wear and replace anything that's necessary
0: Yeah, and that's, I I think the shotgun is one of those misunderstood firearms. I think uh, a lot of people think that, well, you know, you can't get a, a shotgun to perform any better, which I I disagree with. I think you can slick up the action by using it. I think you can always uh, improve the finish on it so it's more weather resistant for hunting. Uh, Better sights, I think, are are absolutely critical. If you guys are still running like just a simple front bead and you're not using a set of track locks, which have a tritium insert, I mean, there's night and day comparison. Um, I, I just think that the shotgun, it's still, very capable, even though it's lost favor to the AR. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, folks should take advantage of those services. Now, do you do the same for Mossberg 590s or is it just purely Remington?
1: Uh, we mainly just do Remington, a 70.
0: So let's, let's take a step away from the gun world and talk about your personal experience. Now I know you were a competitor with various types of shooting and, uh, one of the things that that comes up all the time is when people talk about competitive shooting and they say, well, it needs to be realistic. And I think in one of the articles I was reading about you, you kind of got a little upset with with Ipsic shooting where guys started adding all these different parts to, to firearms to make them less uh, realistic to what they would actually be carrying. Right. They've got the the gas pedals and the big, big optics and compensators and extended flared wells for the, the magazines. and I know that you are, are reality driven and that's kind of why you were like, okay, well, we're going to get away from, from IPSC and, and create, uh, something a little bit different, you know, IDPA. So what was the the whole drive behind that is, did I sum it up or what, what can you add?
1: You're, you're close. Um, you know, I did that whole IPSC QSPSA thing for seemed like forever. Um, and then you know, it, it it first deviated from true carry guns to, you know, comp guns, but they still had iron sights on them. And I stuck through that phase of it. Um, and then when they started putting optics on them, that was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much done with this. And so um, John Sale and I were both on the board of directors at that time. And we lobbied for and created the rules for the limited division, which is going to be a division within USPSA just for five inch, you know, carry guns.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we got, we got that through and the, you know, that was going to kind of renew my interest in the whole thing. And, you know, it was less than six months before the range officers, you know, started bastardizing the rules and. And basically, in my opinion, screwing it all up, you know, you know, undoing everything that John and I had done, and so that's when I, I bailed on the whole USPSA thing, and and uh, got a bunch of weak-minded old timers, you know, like Hack, Hackathorn and the guys together, Walt Roush and some of them, and uh, we we've, we we've formed uh, IDPA.
0: No kidding. So now. <sighs> There are a lot of there are a lot of listeners that have probably never shot a competition and they might be wondering, okay, what can I benefit or how can I benefit from shooting IDPA? And then there are probably some folks who have and they've probably said, well, I picked up this bad habit. Can you kind of give a couple of the pros and the cons of of doing competition shooting? Like what what can be learned from the process and what should people avoid from maybe going along with some of the popular trends that are out there today?
1: Well, the the main positive is you know, the more you shoot under stress, the obviously the the better odds you're going to be in a real gunfight. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just go out and practice by yourself in the, in the field, you know, out behind your house, uh with no structure, or no nobody even watching you shoot, that's a different level of shooting than when you get together and there's competition. I mean, it's like our, I mentioned our little group that we get together, you know, here on the ranch and shoot. And every time we get a, a newbie come in that all they've done is just shot in in the in the field. Um, man, it's a real opening experience for them. I mean, even just our little informal competition we do here on the ranch. I mean, it's you know they just like, you know, they just completely fall apart and they think you know they think when they showed up there they were going to show they were going to show us all how good they were, and they you know then they end up finish in last place, you know? Um, so not to, to get off track here, mm-hmm. but it, the main thing you're going to gonna get from competition is honing your skills. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're, you can improve your draw. you can improve your, your trigger pull, your, you know, how quick you can get on the sites doing, doing reloads under time pressure, you know, the, the mechanical skills, uh, that's you know that's a big plus just to just to improve all of those. You know, obviously, the downside to competition is, you know, anytime there's you know there's keeping score. I mean, everybody wants to win, and so obviously they're going to cut every corner possible. Like if there's a stage where, you know, you have to shoot behind cover, and something like that. Well, obviously, if, if bullets are flying at you, you're going to really stay behind that cover and minimize exposure of your body the you know the least you know least amount you can well in competition you're gonna you're gonna push the line to as far as you can to not get a penalty and try to do it faster Where in the real world you know i mean you know if you're behind cover time time is kind of in your favor then i mean it's you know (laughs) you want to try to be able to place a precision shot from there and not get shot you know
0: Hey guys, we're just going to quickly interrupt the podcast just to bring you one of our sponsors and that sponsor is Athletic Greens. Uh, athleticgreens.com forward slash Fieldcraft is where you want to go. Uh, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Fieldcraft. Guys, uh, Athletic Greens, we've had this product in and out of our office for a very long time. It's very hard for me as you know, one of the guys here at Fieldcraft to get my hands on it because it always gets stolen away from me, right? I think Ricky takes it, I think Rob takes it. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but I used to use it all the time. And if I can get my hands on it again, I will. So, uh, Athletic Greens, if you're listening, please send me some. Uh, Guys, Athletic Greens is a great way of getting a lot of green nutrition in a very easy to drink uh, beverage, okay? When you purchase Athletic Greens, you're gonna get a scooper, you're gonna get the Athletic Powder, you're gonna probably get a shaker and mix it up. Have it first thing in the morning and you have a lot of nutrition coming at you very, very quickly. And it actually tastes really good. Like I've had some green drinks that taste like garbage, right? Green drinks that taste like, you know, the juice that runs out of the back of your truck after you do some yard work. Uh, Not like I drink that juice, but I've consumed a lot of athletic greens and I love it. Uh, it's really, really good. So a couple of the talking points about Athletic Green, so it's not just my words, but you guys can get an idea of exactly what it does. Um, the vitamins and minerals it provides, they help the functioning of your nervous system, and you need those vitamins and minerals for a strong immune system. It's dairy-free, so if any of you guys have any dairy, dairy allergies, you're good to go. Uh, lots of antioxidants, which is gonna help aging, and it's going to, uh, overall, just give you a boost of energy, right? So yes, we drink a lot of coffee here, but Athletic Greens will give you a boost of energy too. Guys, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft, you can get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Now, here's the other thing. We quickly say the year supply of vitamin D, people don't get enough vitamin D, and that's not a good thing, right? Where we are out here in Utah, people take vitamin D supplements. Well, when you order from athletic greens, you're going to get a free year supply of vitamin D drops and it works wonders. So guys, please go to athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft and get your free one year supply of vitamin D in five free travel packs with your first order. All right, here we go. Back to the show. Yeah. I think with, with competitors, obviously for the real strict competitors, they want first place, but you know, the real competition is with yourself. And, you know, this past weekend when I was at the the Gunsite alumni shoot, you know, they said, this course is going to challenge you guys. Now, you can burn it down if you want and go for time on stages that have no missed round penalties, but realize in reality that every one of those missed rounds has a lawyer attached to it. You know, and there were some stages, right? I think we shot 10 stages uh, at, at Gunsite. Uh, there were 10 stages and some of them did have very strict uh missed rounds. Like you would be assessed 10 seconds or, or five seconds or whatever. And, you know, I, I think I was, I finished 60 out of like 240 something folks. Um, but then there were folks that I mean, they came with extended mag wells, extended mags, and you could hear them when they were they were running the rounds uh, or the stages. And it was like, okay, I'm just gonna keep shooting until I hit the target. And as long as my time is faster than yours, I don't care if I shot five or six times as many rounds um i think certain competitions you're better off with with a double stack mag Um, i think if you're trying to be conventional and go single stack you're almost at a disadvantage Uh, and especially if you are shooting a a heavier caliber but uh i think you're spot on with the whole idea of competition teaching you that stress because unless you're under the clock or you are pitted up against someone else who is going to challenge you I mean, you really can't induce a lot of stress other than like physical exercise. Um, When you were a competitor leading up to competitions, what was one of the, or what are some of the tips that you could recommend for someone going into a competition to give them a better advantage than someone uh, who doesn't do any prep at all? Like, did you have any training routines that you did or any particular favorite drills that really kind of improved your overall shooting?
1: Well, um, Something that my nobody buddy, Robbie Latham, told me years and years ago, you know, and he's arguably, you know, the best, best overall shooter that's ever walked the face of the earth, you know. Um, he said, always practice the hardest, hardest thing to where when you get to the match, nothing, they throw at you will intimidate you. You know, that was, that was, and that's really stuck with me, and that's, that's what I always try to do. I always try to, to practice stuff that is much harder than I think I'll ever have to do in a match and 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 or something that i'm not very good at to try to get better at it you know because if you get up there and and okay they you know they describe what the stage is and says well i've always done st- i've already done stuff harder than this so you know it, it gives you that little bit of calm and and confidence
0: yeah the expression is train hard and fight easy um yeah. you know and there was one stage this past weekend where it was a rainbow the outside of the rainbow you had to shoot strong hand only the inside of the rainbow, you had to shoot support hand only, and then you had to clean the rainbow with two hands. And it was very, very apparent who had never done or who didn't do much one hand shooting. Um, So I I agree with you on, on that one. Jumping back to the firearms that you guys make. So we covered 1911. We talked about the Remington 870. Somewhere in the 90s, maybe it was around the LA Uh, bank robbery that took place, there grew the demand for police officers to transition from the Remington 870 and 12-gauge shotgun platform to more of a patrol carbine. Um, You guys at some point, and I know it was definitely by June 2002 because I have the magazine, um, you started customizing AR-15s. How has that been? Are they your top seller now or can you kind of talk us through your the AR-15s that you guys offer.
1: Well, we don't really customize ARs. We we build them from scratch. I mean, we build almost every component in them right there at our plant in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You know, all the all the barrels and receivers and most of the bulk carrier groups and all that's all made right there on site. Um I mean, there we have custom features on them, but you know, as far as we don't have customers send their ARN and we work on it. We, we don't, we don't do that like we do on 1911 handguns and, and Glocks and things like that. Uh, so we're actually an AR-15 manufacturer. And, and during the, the panic from, you know, all the riots and all the unrest and everything that, that went on, you know, in late 20 on in, you know, to most of, uh, 21. Um, I mean, we were, probably 60% of our business was, was ARs at that point. But, you know, as anybody tell you now, they are markets pretty flat right now. So it's not a, it's not a huge part of our market right now. Fortunately handguns are still booming. So that's what we're busy focusing on building, building handguns. And, you know, we started out talking about 1911s. Mm-hmm. I just want to throw this in. I was talking to my old buddy, Dave Williams at Springfield Armory this morning. He's, you know, been the custom shop manager there for years. And, uh, we were just talking about we can't believe the demand for single stack 45 1911s right now you know <laughs> what uh, do I you attribute that to i mean, he, he made this comment like you would think by now everybody would have two of them. you know <laughs> um i don't know it's you know it's one of those deals that you know and and i was talking about one of my friends at kimber same thing they're just they're going balls to the wall on their single stacks and uh that's the same thing with us. I mean, we're still selling lots of X9 series double stacks, but, you know, the demand for single stacks is still extremely strong.
0: You know, I don't understand the firearms industry sometimes. Like, back in the day, I had a Beretta 92, 92FS, and I loved that gun, and and I carried it because, you know, Martin Riggs had one, and and John McClane had one. I mean, if you grew up in the, the 80s and the 90s, all your action hero, you know, heroes, they all carried the Beretta 92FS. I don't own one currently but that's one of those guns where if i see a good deal on one eventually i'm probably going to pick it up just to have as a as a collector piece and the occasional shooter on the range because i enjoy firearms but i don't i don't understand the trends trends either um what's interesting with your your ars is you're not just offering two two three and five five six i mean i'm on your website right now just kind of scrolling as we're as we're talking here and you've got. 204 Ruger, 223 Wild, 22 Nosler, 224 Valkyrie. I mean, six millimeter ARC. I mean, you've got. I mean, you've got so many. You've got the 350 Legend, 458 Silcom. I mean, 300 Blackout, 450 Bushmaster. I mean, my gosh, all of these are available through you guys. All all custom guns. Um, You know, it's not just the the high capacity ones, or I should say, standard capacity. But you've got some big bore. AR-15s, like the 458 SOCOM, um, have they been pretty popular with hunters?
1: Actually the, the 458 SOCOM is, is a, an extremely good seller. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, just, uh, stayed popular for years and, and that, you know, even though it's not a Sammy approved cartridge, you know, there's still, you know, a lot of demand for it and a lot of different companies like, like Underwood, for example, and, and, uh, I think uh, maybe Gorilla and different ones they they load 458 SOCOM, as as we do ammo wise. Um, but I mean, we we build more different calibers of ARs than anybody in the in the business. I don't think there's even I don't think there's anybody else out there that that even offers half the number of calibers that we do. I,
0: and I'm looking. I didn't even get to the AR10, right? AR10. You've got uh 243, 260, 308, 338 Federal, 6.5 Creedmoor. I mean it's unbelievable what you guys are able to to get out there um i think an interesting segue is to this talk of caliber and, and ammo you guys just bought lehigh defense
1: yeah uh took possession of it on uh, january the 2nd
0: so, so what what is know, that going to offer
1: uh, well the actual lehigh defense um, is a projectile manufacturing company. We're, we make we make the bullets. Uh, then then the bullets ship out to uh, either OEM customers like you know Black Hills and Underwood and Gorilla and Ultimate and different companies like that. Um, or they ship to the Wilson Combat to load ammo at our ammunition plant in Arkansas. And all the bu- retail bullets are distributed through Wilson Combat.
0: So you'll have all of the um all the bullet heads to support all these various calibers, right? Like so you'll have the one for the 450 Bushmaster and 260 Remington. These are all going to be available through through Lehigh.
1: Yes. Yeah, we've we've got a pretty extensive product line already and we're busy right now with a new new product line to to fill, fill a, a kind of a niche we feel like we're not we, you know the kind of a hole in our product line we're working on that right now but um you know like i mentioned to you you know before um before we went on air you know we're just uh uh in the process now moving the plant from south dakota to, to texas and um uh, that's going to be complete by the end of the month just is three three semi loads of machines showed up this morning matter of fact moving moving a bunch of that stuff to texas so you know, all the bullets will be made in Texas, you know, starting by the end of the month.
0: Man. And I mean, we haven't even started talking about the accessories that you guys have. Aside from all, all the bullets, you've got suppressors, custom leather, a whole bunch of range gear. Um, one thing I want to talk about real quick, because I'm, I'm staring at it right here and a, a good friend of mine has one. Your Sig Sauer uh, 320 grip modules, that's not a standard... 6 hour grip that you're modifying. Those are are those molded by you guys?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a you know brand new brand new module.
0: Oh, and and you know, it's, it's it's just laser etched?
1: No, no, it's molded that way. Oh, it, it, it is.
0: It's,
1: it's all our our tooling, you know, and and it's and it's made by one of the same molders that molds the, the Sig factory module.
0: One of one of our our employees here, our HR gal uh, Sarah, her husband let me shoot her 365 uh pistol all right let me shoot his 365 pistol with that grip module and immediately i notice a difference when you grab onto that thing it's got a little bit more uh circumference to it so it's got like for for bigger hands it, it makes it way more friendly it actually feel it, it totally changes the feel of the gun um now you guys are offering those for the 320 and the 365. um i mean what do you think of the the 320 as a platform? I know you guys work on them, and I know you, if any if I'm going to ask anyone about their their opinion on something, I want to ask you. I mean, you guys are putting your name on the 320, so what are your thoughts on the 320? Just out of curiosity.
1: Oh, I think it's an excellent excellent pistol. I mean, as as far as polymer striker fired guns, it's you know it's my favorite. Uh, it's it for me it's much easier to shoot than a than a glock and uh you know you can get good triggers on them i mean they're they're obviously reliable the military wouldn't have adopted it um and they're typically a pretty accurate gun you know the 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 pistols that we do in collaboration with sig you know basically they just send us in you know um Components that's got the, the ID machining done, and then we do all the exterior machining and the finishing and assembly and everything on the pistols.
0: I'm not seeing any of these SIGs with uh, red, dot, red dot capability, but you guys do sell those, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Our 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 web we're working on a new website right now. You mm-hmm. and know, and be honest with you, our website we we're, we're pretty lax on having stuff shown on the website that we actually have and do <laughs> and red dot sites is probably one of, one of our biggest weak links there. I mean, we do you know, we do all kinds of red dot site stuff, but we don't really tell the world of, <laughs> about it well enough.
0: So now I'm going to jump to, to something else that you guys have. Cause I've, I haven't had a chance to really play around with one of these too much, but your EDC X nine handguns, uh, the way I best, I think I, I'll, I'll let you describe them. Like, what is the EDC nine uh, X or EDC X nine handgun?
1: It's it's our own design. You know, it's it was a blank sheet of paper. You know, pistol that that uh, from concept to reality. You know, it was almost a two year long project. Um, and there's only been one one product we've ever brought to market that that received more testing than the than the X nine series guns. You know and uh you know so i mean it was fully vetted out before we ever shipped the first gun and therefore we've had you know virtually no revision to the gun from the original original design as far as you know anything mechanical about it uh we you know we've evolved to different variants obviously but they all you know they all have the same in, internals so uh it's it's been a great product line our our uh, solid frame SFX-9, for example, uh, the 15-round 4-inch uh, barrel version of it, that's probably our single best-selling firearm that we build. And it's, it's my personal favorite. That's, that's, that's what I have on my hip right now. And, and I, I shoot that gun better than any, any carry gun I've ever, I've ever shot of, any, any brand or any type
0: so to describe it a little bit further where i'm looking at it right now uh it's got a lot of the same kind of uh design attributes of like a of a 1911 with respect like it's got a um you know grip safety i'm sorry not a grip safety a, a thumb safety uh it's double stack you have the rail capability but the whole thing with the um with this pistol is that there's no grip panels right like it's it's all molded in all the textures molded in
1: but it's not molded it's i'm sorry machined not, it machined. My frame, my frame solid solid um uh, seventy seventy five t6 aluminum
0: wow what a pretty gun that is fancy damn uh um,
1: yeah we we machine that frame in house from a big block of, of stainless you know we we get in uh you know, water jet cut blocks that are generally shaped the the shape of, a of this, you know, a a frame. And then we take it from there and machine it into a finished product.
0: Just, I mean, I feel like we we could just talk for hours and hours and hours about this stuff because everything you make is pretty damn cool. I want to talk about your magazines real quick, and then I want to get into something else, but with your, uh, with your pistol magazines, I think that's an area that a lot of folks don't think about when it comes to reliability, you know, they might buy a 1911 from any number of manufacturers, right? You mentioned Springfield, Kimber, you mentioned a few others and, you know, they come with decent mags, but they're, if you were to say, Hey, what are the best mags out there? I've got the the 500 D mags. Uh, that's what I run, run through my gun. And when I did the, the research on them, it, it seemed like there was nothing better that was out there. Um, and I know that it, depending on where you are, your mags can get jammed up with that moon dust, kind of ultra fine talcum powder sand, and it'll just screw with reliability. What are some things that folks should need to, should know about magazine reliability, and what are some ways that you can kind of ensure that your magazines are going to work when you need them to?
1: Okay. Um, first off, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I gotta throw in a, a little you know commercial here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We, we you know, we also have Chip McCormick Custom, you know, and mm. and you know that company was always our number one competitor on magazines, so we ended up buying that company so we didn't have any serious competition anymore.
0: Oh, you're talking and about so, those those power mags?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I mean we, we offer the Wilson Combat mags as well as, as all the Chip McCormick Custom mags. So between the two brands, you know, you you can buy the best best nineteen eleven mags on the market. But um to your actual question of you know what you know what to do to maintain them um first off uh in general mags with with polymer followers will will eat more dirt than ones with metal followers you know in 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 general um not lubing them with you know with with a wet lube will help you know if, if you're having to, to use them in that environment um you know, and and keeping keeping reasonably fresh springs in them if you keep them loaded all the time. You know, what I mean, if if you're going to keep the magazine fully loaded all the time, you really need to change the springs every year.
0: That's interesting. A lot of a lot of folks I know will say, uh, "Well, you know, I, I I only change them when the springs get weak." Well, it's like, how do you know if they're weak, right? Like, are you unloading your gun? Are you shooting your carry ammo? Uh, do you have a routine for that? Um. Uh,
1: as far as like I say, if you keep loaded all the time, I would just change the springs every year. It's not it's not a you know big expense to do that. Um, but for my range mags, I mean, I've, I always make sure I, you know when I'm done shooting that I never leave them more than say fifty percent loaded or whatever, so the springs are not under any, any real stress. And uh, I don't know that I've ever ever changed a mag spring on my on my range mags.
0: So. I mean obviously your company has done so much for the 1911 world for firearms customization like you you set the bar in, in a lot of different ways what's next for you guys like are you thinking about doing uh non-gas precision rifles or do you, do you have any plans for anything that's gonna really shake us up
1: well actually uh as far as the rifles are concerned uh we, we bought the the NULA project, you know, um, you know, ultra NULA rifles from, you know, Melbourne Forbes from West Virginia. We, we bought that project back in, I think May or June, something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're working on now. We're working on making a few minor improvements to the product and getting that product online.
0: No kidding. So you guys are going into that, that arena too. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, so what else else needs to be said I mean I think we've covered so much about what you do a little bit of your background I mean is there anything else that we should talk about that I I haven't addressed that you want people to know
1: Um, I mentioned that I mean a lot of people don't realize how heavy we are in the ammunition business too I mean we between the Wilson Combat branded ammo and Lehigh defense branded ammo I mean we're You know, we're a somewhat significant player in the ammunition market. And during all the, you know, the shortage of ammo due to the pandemic and the panic and all that, I mean, we probably kept ammo in stock better than almost any, anybody, you know, anybody out there. Uh, there There were some calibers like my pet 300 hammer project. I mean, we, we, we always had ammo in stock. I mean, it it was, that caliber was never out of stock during the entire, you know, ammo panic buying.
0: (laughs) I love the, I love the name. It's not hammer with an ER, it's hammer apostrophe R. Was that specifically for pigs?
1: No, it's uh, it's an all around caliber. I mean, it's, I think it would be the ultimate patrol carbine uh, for law enforcement. Because I mean, you got, you know, a gun that's the same same size same same ammo capacity everything is a 556 five, that's it's got a you know trep- you know a tremendous um, amount more uh, term- terminal performance i mean you know you're going from you know shooting something that you know 556 five, you know typically f- 55 to 77 grain you know 224 diameter bullet to you know you're shooting a a, a 30 caliber bullet that's anywhere from one, one ten to 150 grain out of the 300 hammer. And, uh, you know, just a lot, a lot more killing power there.
0: I got to look into that. <laughs> well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Um, guys, like I said, I, I've been following Wilson combat for a very, very long time, uh, from that first magazine in June of 2002 through, buying a wilson to stupidly selling it to having one that i'm super proud of now and you know i'm, I'm definitely going to continue being a, a wilson combat fan uh if you guys are interested in customizing your guns or improving them please take a look at their site uh they really really are setting the standard and uh you know it's really cool to be able to finally talk to to the man who whose company inspired me all those years ago to to break out of just the regular uh factory or semi-custom uh, interest in doing the deep dive and getting something custom that has proven to be a hell of a performer. So Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what, what are the websites? Where can people find, find you guys?
1: It's Wilsoncombat.com uh, Wilsoncombat.com.
0: Okay. And you guys have an Instagram uh, presence and you know, uh, if you guys are, uh, ever wondering, give them a call, email them. Uh, they are very good at with customer service too. So, Bill, thanks yeah, so much. We, for, yeah, yeah, go Check
1: ahead. us out on the YouTube because we've got a, a you know, a tremendous amount of a video on YouTube.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Bill. I appreciate Thank
1: it. Thank you.